This content is brought to you in part by Real Marketing, the only marketing firm recommended exclusively by the Institute. Real Marketing utilizes over 25 years of expertise and their products are built and customized for you to dominate any neighborhood anywhere. Go to realmarketingforyou.com. That's real marketing, the number four, you.com. Also, look for past a state of mind episodes with CEO David Collins as our guest. Welcome to A State of Mind, a podcast series all about motivating, inspiring, and educating you in the art of selling luxury real estate. This is Diane Hartley, and I'm president of the Institute for Luxury Home Marketing. Today, we have a very special guest with us to talk about what the data we collect here at the Institute is actually telling us about the luxury real estate market. So let me welcome Deborah Worth. Deborah has over 30 years of experience working for corporations such as Shell International, PricewaterhouseCoopers, and Remax. She spent the last 15 years consulting to the real estate industry, specializing in strategic marketing for the luxury market. And in the last five years, she's been working with the Institute on data research, preparation, and market analysis of all of the reports produced by the Institute. Welcome, Deborah. So Deborah, your your perspective is, as always, interesting and unique because you're looking at this data all the time, and we're in the middle of a mark of the market right now that the you know the mass media would have you think that there we live in a housing shortage and all of the kind of things that come along with that. But but in particular at the institute, we study the luxury home market and how it moves in in the U.S. and Canada. So we're going to we're going to start de- by defining some terms, okay? Yes. So how, how do you define the luxury threshold? The luxury threshold is we look at the previous year, we take all the data for all the solds and all the inventory for the previous year. So for instance, this year we looked back in 2020 and we took all the solds and we look at approximately the top 10% of the market to establish um, across the board what that threshold is. And then we do it for each one of the markets that we feature for the Institute. And so right now that's 105, right? Actually, hundred. I think we're up to about 112. 112. Okay. So here's the importance of that number. So we produce an index, okay? Mm-hmm which means we now have enough data to say, how is the luxury market above that luxury threshold, which according to our data here that we've just published, the luxury threshold for single family homes is $1 million, right? And this is the first time that threshold has been a million dollars, isn't it? Correct, yes. Yeah. And so I bring that figure up because I don't care who you are or who you're talking to. When you say a luxury home, Everybody thinks it's a million dollar home, but across this great uh, country and Canada as well, really $500,000 can be a super luxury home somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, So we shy away from saying million dollar homes, but it just turns out that this this month we ticked over into the exact dollar amount of $1 million representing the luxury threshold for all single family homes across these 112 markets that you look at monthly. Yes. 
And then the attached market, which means not a single family, it's a condo, townhome, something that a wall is shared, right? Correct. Yes. So, and here we sit again now with a very different uh, threshold price, which is almost $750,000, which that's, that's a peak there, I think as well in the three or four years we've been doing this. So I set that stage because we need to define our terms, right? This Mm -hmm. is not necessarily these big, gigantic, coastal $25 million homes. This is the luxury market across uh, the United States and Canada. So uh, let's start broad in the discussion. So like everybody wants to kind of drill down into, wow, look at how, you know, this market's going totally amazing and really fantastic. And and in this issue of the market report, uh, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna kind of, I'm gonna read what what I said as the president of the Institute for Luxury Home Marketing. Okay, in this report, and mm-hmm. it is that record low interest rates, increased household savings, a strengthening stock market, and a continued focus on living space during the pandemic were all factors that helped bolster demand. Okay. Now the steady and in some markets heady price growth has starting started to encourage more sellers to list their homes. So this is this as an analyst, this is this very unique balance that we have to achieve, right? We listen to the news and the word is inventory. So can you take a minute or two and really explain the delicate balance between supply and demand and how that impacts most specifically this luxury market where folks think they sit, they, and in the past, houses have sat for months and months and months. So yeah. I'll give you the floor to kind of kind of talk about that. Absolutely, yes. Um, so imagery is obviously key um, to whether a market and how much imagery is on the market is key to whether it's a seller's market or a buyer's market. When we get to a certain threshold, um, it can flip between each each side. Um, inventory is certainly very important and probably more important in the luxury uh, field than in the traditional market, just because so many homes in the luxury market are unique. And the more expensive that home, the more unique it is. And it has its own, you know, particular attributes and um for you know whether it's a swimming pool or whether it's a six car garage, you know everything is very different. Where the higher up we go in that scale, so when a buyer wants to come on the market and look, um, in previous years to the pandemic, they would always be able to take their time because there was a lot of inventory, and mostly they'd be able to say, "Well, we like this property, but it doesn't have this." Or we like that property, but it doesn't have that. Do will we build, buy that and then build this or change it? But they had time. To your point, there were homes on the market for many months. And it wasn't always because of price that they weren't selling. It's just because there was a lot of inventory. What happened with the pandemic was suddenly. Um, we know that the inventory levels were just coming up, you know, last March 2020. The, the inventory levels were starting to shift up as they usually do in a spring market. And then suddenly we had this, oh, the pandemic's hit. We don't know what's happening. Everybody shifted. And to cut a long story short, because we most of us know this, 
the real estate market then took off because luxury you know people who were affluent said i don't want to live in a dense city i want out so they started to look at homes that had particularly been on the market for a long long time estate properties horse ranches island properties that previously there had been this move back to the city and having multiple homes smaller homes and smaller footprints now suddenly it was like i need to take all of my family and go and buy this house and that was the reason why suddenly we saw this inventory level starting to drop because although there was a lot of inventory they could actually access it quite quickly and then we start to swing into a period like towards the end of 2020 into the beginning of 2021 and we see inventory levels dropping and dropping and dropping and we're thinking what is going on and there's no inventory coming on why it's because people who traditionally before were the people who added to the inventory levels were going well where do we go they don't they didn't know where to buy and then also we had the demographic, which were probably the major demographic that bought inventory, the bigger properties, the more expensive properties, those who downsize, those who were of an older generation who were saying, I don't have any kids. I don't need this. My children are off doing X, Y, Z. Um, and so I don't need a five bedroom home. But they were all going, no, we're keeping our home because the children all came home. <laughs> <laughs> whether they wanted them or not <laughs> um, yes so um um so anyway so uh, I actually experienced that for a little while too <laughs> what do you mean you're all coming to Whistler <laughs> um so uh yeah so it was interesting to see there so we had this short supply and these were the two main reasons the fear because I don't know where to go and the other one was I I need my big home but what we've got coming on now and we see and and then we saw prices escalate because there was this feeling in, in March and April in particular, when inventory levels should rise, there was this sort of like, oh, my God, well, I had planned to move here. I was planning to buy another home. So prices started to really escalate in March and April of this year. Inventory levels didn't really change. There was a little bit of an uptick, but it wasn't the same kind of uptick as we would usually see. And then because prices had just been going up and up and up. And I think one of the biggest things that we have to remember about the general public is that they get the information a lot later than we do. So the, the voice out there is there's nothing available when we as realtors talk, but they get that information a bit later, especially if they haven't been looking for a home it's not top of interest for them. And then suddenly it funnels down. And so you had this huge amount of people who said, no, I've got to buy, I've got to buy. And so they rushed in, prices went up. And then all these other homeowners who were saying, hmm, you know what? This is the right time to take advantage. I'm okay. I understand the COVID rules. I can work around it. I understand how to be safe. I know where I want to go. They moved. They started to put their properties on the market. And realtors adjusted and changed the way they did it. They were more resourceful, I feel, in finding properties for their agents. I mean, for their for their clients. So yeah, I love that. I love how um, creative. Mm-hmm. 
the agent community decided to get, which I think is smart, right? That, that, um, there's, I've got a friend of mine looking for a home at, at, at significantly above the luxury threshold uh, in my community. And she said, my fiance and I, have, you know, we've spotted a house and we're not on the market, but we think we might write him a letter. And I'm like, do it, right? You never know. And so this creativity is being spawned at a time of need, really, right? Because mm-hmm. you you have to sometimes force people's hands. Like I, the, your, your XYZ, which I, I love the XYZ, um, but the, <laughs> the, the people moving home and all this need for space and and the other phenomenon, which is that I, I personally like to talk about, is this combination of an incredibly low interest rate market, in combined with an extraordinary investment community. Uh, if you are if you are. If you were invested in the United States, and I'm sure the Canadian stock market in the last four years, three years, four years, you doubled your money. Oh, yes. And when you put these things together, they create this incredible storm in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where creativity is spawned. When you're talking, I was thinking about where we were, uh, you know, let's say 14 months ago in these COVID protocols. and how do you go look at a house? And I, I also think that the, the real estate community then learned very quickly how to use technology. Absolutely. So where in some ways the community of professionals is slightly in the kind of the laggard column around adopting to the technology, they sped up. Mm-hmm. And they learned. They learned how to uh, use a ring camera, a ring light, and all of the things to um, have Zoom calls. And instead of it had it had to be a face to face thing. So I love times like this for that. Yeah. Um, and so you know, you're you're casting light on I think something in the whatever 150 words that we see in in. Uh, mass media that they print about what's happening in the market. I think you're you're enlightening people a bit about this spread between properties that sell and properties that come onto the market or have been on the market. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we reported on in the the July report was you spent you spent more time and said I'm not going to just compare June of 2021 to June of 2020. Yeah. I want to take a snapshot of 2021, so January to June. We've not done that before, right? No. Right. And so we're, we're in the these- end of every year, but we've not done it. And it's because there's been so much going on that it's important. Yeah, like um, we sat down together and said, let's let's look at the thresholds in January. And now we can see the thresholds across the index mm-hmm. that the million dollar mark I told you, we, I told everyone about in the beginning, now we're seeing that even though that's the median threshold, the median sale is 25% higher than that. Yes. And that's kind of a mathematical phenomenon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about that a little? Yes. Again, I think that's as a result of um, 
the the April March um, you know demand um, and the escalation of prices, particularly over those months. I mean, prices are still going up on a medium level. Don't get me wrong, but those were the months that really charged it forward. And yes, today we are seeing. You know, if we were to redo the medium, um, you know, and repull all the data, like I say, we made a concerted choice as a, an institute to change our medium every January. But if we were to do it now, we would be seeing that medium was definitely 25% higher, if yep. not 30, if not sure. 30%. Sure. So and so it's feeding itself. Yeah. And I think a point I really want to make here, okay, again, which I feel gets missed, is the attached market. I think everybody has focused a lot on the single family home because it really had such a big impact this time last year and everyone was moving out. What we're actually seeing, um, and when we say the attached market, I think it's important to understand that attached can be a townhome that is a four-bedroom house with a backyard in the city. And yes, right. it's going to cost you five, six, seven million in somewhere like Boston, right? Right, right. But the reality is people were moving out of those prior to COVID. Were they selling them or were they just moving? They were selling them. There were a lot of them on the market and they were selling them. And the developers were also going in and splitting them up and making them into smaller units. Mm. And there were houses that that was happening to in big cities. Just coming back to a city very close to where I live, Vancouver in um, British Columbia, we have a whole area called Shaughnessy. And what we'd seen is these big houses, 10-bedroom homes, that nobody wanted because they were just too big. And developers were buying them and splitting them. And so you were getting four houses out of one big house. And they weren't apartments. They were like they were like three-bedroom houses. And they're they're called attached though. But they're a part of the attached now, whereas before they were part of the single family. Interesting. But they were they were proving so this was happening. And why I bring this up is we saw this time last year, um, we saw a lot of people buying these attached homes. We saw a lot of people buying um, condominiums in low rises. Anywhere that they could get so they could walk up and down stairs, they were okay buying them. What really suffered were the high rises, where they couldn't have their own front door. What we're starting to see now, or what we have been since January, and as I point out in this month's report, was that the attached market for the condominium high rises is starting to move again. There's a whole different demographic starting to, to go there. Previously, we saw a lot of people who were downsizing, moving into the condominiums because they wanted the lifestyle of the city before they retired, retired, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, or before, you know, they, they went to their second home somewhere else. Um, they still wanted to go to the theater, have an active life, no, you know, go to restaurants, etc. They weren't ready to retire to the country. So we had this group going there. Suddenly with COVID, that group went, no, this is not wow. what we want. They've moved, they've like jumped this thing and they've gone off to their second homes. Now we have a group of people who are going, hey, there's an opportunity in the attached market. Mm -hmm. These are younger people who are coming in, who 
like you said, big savings, low interest rates, can see their way to saying, yes, I can get my foot in the door, right? And even people who are super wealthy are going, yes, I can get my foot in the door, but I am not having to fight people to, you know, I'm not having to do multiple offer situations. They are in the situation that our big houses had two years ago, where there's plenty of infantry so they can take their time and pick what they want. Right. So you mentioned the big, the big houses. And again, anytime you look at a collection of data, there's outliers to it, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the things you and I have talked about is what was driving the square footage, right? Mm -hmm. So that initial run, if you will, from uh, cities to suburbia and exurbia, which were larger larger square footage purchases, that's normalized now, right? Yes, we've come back down. We've also seen because we've got a lot more people coming into the market who are, you know, not that really, really high ticket price that they're looking for. And then there's more people coming into the market. So what we had this time last year, I think we looked at the single family home. There was like 9,000 plus single family homes being bought. Now we're seeing 23. Just the volume of homes bought in June versus last June is tremendous. So, you know, when you have that many homes, you're obviously going to see that the um, the average square footage is going to come down um, just overall. But I'm excited by that attached market because I see it coming back. There's also another demographic that are coming in. And those are the people who actually left with their families and they um, they went to suburbia or exurbia, but they have jobs in the city. So they're buying back into the city and they're buying smaller condos so that they can come back in two to three nights a week and be able to go to the office. So there, So there's that move shifting of the markets. It's quite interesting watching how over the last five years, we've had this ebb and flow of people moving in and out the cities. You know, everybody was driven to it. Then they all rushed out. Now we've got this slow, you know what? I'm okay with COVID. I know how to manage it. And I've had my shots and life has to go on. Right. And I need to get back to the city. Right. When you were talking, I was thinking about my discussions over the years with one of our other data partners, which is WealthX. And, you know, WealthX talked for a number of years pre-COVID about this, the the urban, uh, uh, the beautiful new buildings that were being created, the Ritz properties, the, you know, if you had an architect's name on it, or you had a, uh, a, a luxury brand name on a building, right? It just, you know, flew off the shelves. And and now uh, they were a little bit of the casualty, and now they're coming back. Mm-hmm. Is, the, is the price point? Like what happened there? Did the price point just plummet, or is it normalized again? They no. held their value. Yes, they very much held their value. I don't. I think you know. I think people who panicked lost money, Agreed. but I don't think the developers did. I think for the most part. Um, we are seeing that, um, in fact, what we're seeing right now, and, and New York was a classic of example, that there are a lot of people coming back to New York and they're not moving, you know, maybe they didn't sell back when COVID because they could afford to keep them, right. but they're selling them now and they're upsizing. So they're going after the bigger condominiums because, 
Yeah, they want that. And even the people who stayed this time last year, they use the opportunity to upsize too. So there is a bit of a push against developers to provide condominiums that are not small in in the footprint. Mm. So I think developers are really beginning to adjust. It's not about having, they need to have the extra bedroom, et cetera, et cetera. You're going to see over the next few years that these these properties are kind of come on the market and they're going to adjust the size of them. They're not going to be small boutique little condominiums because somebody's flying in for a couple of weeks and then flying out again. They want proper residences. So it will be for residences. Yeah. Very British sounding. Um, <laughs> so, so um, you know, the, the other thing that I was thinking about in a discussion I had in the last week or so with a, a designer is this idea of a room for everything mm-hmm. that we were in this open concept world where there was a room for nothing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. A room, <laughs> one big room. And it's true, right? The the phenomenon that I, I do this and I don't want to get in trouble, but the phenomenon that HGTV created mm-hmm. from the necessity of the post-World War II housing being nothing but these tiny rooms, right? Mm-hmm. And now, to, you know, we went into this uh, phase where we were just all in love with the idea of no walls. And now there's a room for everything. There's a room to do something. Yeah. Um, now that's just going to do nothing but drive the uh, square footage up, right? That's correct. Yeah, the, you know, I I need to know that if I am trapped in my home, that I am not going to go stir crazy because mm-hmm. I need space. Or I actually might have liked it, right? I actually might have liked the idea of being in my home, and now yeah. I want to create an environment that I like even more. I don't yeah. know. Nobody's. I, yeah, I'm super fascinated by that. I, I think the, it's definitely an area to watch. It's going to yeah. be quite interesting. And, you know, one of the fun things I was hearing that some developers are doing, um, which I thought was, was which definitely needs to be shared, is that they've taken these huge gyms that are in these buildings and they've subdivided them into private rooms. So you can still go to the gym and do your yoga, but you do it in your own room. Interesting. It's fabulous what they're doing. And then- I love that. Again, we're back to the the creativity and the pivot, right? The pivot, mm-hmm. the mother of all pivots, right? Yes. Like uh, the, watching the world do this. I, I was cracking up, I don't know, a few weeks ago. I heard um, somebody coined the phrase FOGO, right? We all know FOMO is fear of missing out and yeah. FOGO is buy one, get one. Yeah. FOGO is fear of going out. <laughs> <laughs> like, like wait a minute I kind of liked being at home and uh, you and I are just huge dog people right and so this idea that our dogs are now suffering enormous separation anxiety uh, because we're we're not home all the time um, so so on this track of the moving and the shifting mm-hmm. um, for years you and I have been lamenting these smaller cities where um I think it was you and I in a conference room somewhere talking about Boise, Idaho. Mm-hmm. Like, why, right? Because these these um, really great places to live uh, years ago have now suddenly become in your in your st- studying the market. One of the things that you produce for us is the I kind of call it the yeah, but who's really leading the pack and 
you can see in both the attached and the detached for the single family homes that the trend is pointing to uh, these cities that we never thought about, mm -hmm. right? When we think of luxury homes, um, suddenly becoming a place that are, you know, in the triple digits of, of highest sales ratio. So let's define our terms because mm -hmm. um, we're going to go into a little more data here, but, but sales ratio is? The sales ratio is when we look at inventory that is coming into the market every month against the number of sales. So hence the reason why you can see in some markets it's over 100%. So it's like, how is that possible? You shouldn't be able to be over 100%. But when you have less inventory coming in than being sold, it is telling you there is something going on in that market that is fascinating. And, well, um, and we had it in um, the one place that comes to mind and since we've been producing this report was always Silicon Valley, right? Yeah. Where it always had this ridiculously high sales ratio. Homes were launched. Blah, blah, blah. But now suddenly, uh, in this month's report, we talk about, and not Silicon Valley, we talk about the East Bay. Mm -hmm. So that has a sales ratio in single family homes of 423%. Unpack that for us. What does that mean? What's happening? <laughs> it means it's very popular in short. Popular. <laughs> very popular. Um, so in reality, East Bay obviously is quite a big area. And, and the, the great thing about East Bay is that they, they do have move, room to move east. <laughs> yes. Um, but it um, over the years and, and, and actually pre-COVID, it started to become more popular because um, it just it's, a, a, it's not as expensive as obviously San Francisco is. It's right. not as expensive as Silicon Valley. So a lot of people were saying, well, I can get more money. I can get more bang for my buck. Mm -hmm. um, and then, and the schools there are great. And there's just something about East Bay. There's lots of pockets of charming. I mean, I, I get the impression that one time they were probably charming little towns and now they've all kind of merged right. into one. So the growth has been, I can still, and it all comes down to the fact right now that they don't need to be in the city. They no. don't need to be in Silicon Valley in an office. They can work from home. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we haven't touched on the millennials, but they are obviously one of the biggest groups, especially in a place like San Francisco, that is influencing these big numbers. Because at what, literally two years ago, I was reporting that people were moving back to San Francisco because they were redeveloping areas that weren't very good in San Francisco, like yeah. docks and stuff. And they were all buying all these condos, et cetera. Now what we have, they've left all those condos and they've all gone to the East Bay to have single family homes. A lot of them have got married because millennials are no longer 20. They're into their thirties and some of them are close to 40. They're having kids. The whole concept of COVID has changed everybody's mind about, I need a refuge i need a home that gives me everything and i am willing to pay to get that because i want my family safe and i can work from home so i need more space so ultimately it's the same thing that we've been hearing a lot of but i think using that as an example really shows that it's not just really wealthy people it's people who've got money 
that I think you have a great term for it. What was the term you used? Mass there? affluent. The mass affluent, that's it. <laughs> they they are the ones who are driving. They're the ones that are in that 23,000 uh, 23, homes that were bought yes. in June. Those are the people that are making these moves because companies are so comfortable now. And why? And they're really comfortable with letting you work from home. It's been proven that a lot of people and they, you know, are actually more productive. It's being proved they're happier um, and um, and they can monitor it. So mm-hmm. why? why? Why spend your life in a small condominium when you can live out in the country and have your own, as we say in England, garden, but you guys call it a yard. <laughs> garden, better. A garden. <laughs> let's, let's, uh, let's set some levels here. So you consider, uh, as our authority, you consider a seller's market to be over a 20% sales ratio. And Correct. just so we're talking about the East Bay with a 420% sales ratio. But the average, right? So we try to normalize everything mm-hmm. and say the official market type that we're in right now on this day today is a seller's market with a nearly 75% sales ratio mm-hmm. and a $1 million median um, thresh, luxury threshold price. So these are lofty. Um, I'm going to ask you to whip out your crystal ball. Uh, based upon what you've seen, like, what do you think? We have more runway here. Um, what are you seeing with this next generation, the Gen Zers? Like, what? how do we get, like, how, what do you predict? Very interesting question. Um, wish I had it, Christopher. I know. Um, <laughs> I think what we are seeing is we are beginning to see the market it's certainly strong and it will continue to be strong. People will buy, but we're seeing the pace come off. So where we had the multiple offers and the craziness of, I think I said in the report, one of our Institute members shared a great story of how, you know, somebody actually put in their contract that they would, you know, name their firstborn after, <laughs> after the homeowners, if they gave them the house, you know, it's like, what? Right. Um, so so some of that craziness is coming off. The market is going to be, you know, I think with the summer and and things, you know, people want to sort of just they're going to calm down. There's not going to be that frenzied, I've got to buy, got to buy, got to buy. Now people are going to see prices aren't going to change. I still think you're still going to see the uptick of prices. If you've got a property that is moving ready, in the right neighborhood, has great schools, you know, close to shops, but gives space. You perhaps, if you tick all those boxes, you will command a good price. But if you take that price and make it above the price that the market will hold in your in your area, you will sit on the market. Mm. The wealthy, the affluent are still smart they're still they're willing to pay but they're not then they're still savvy right if you tick every box that they have they will pay if you have a house that is needs a lot of work that you know has problems doesn't have all the boxes they ticked like it's a massive open house with no no rooms to go in then you and you have overpriced it you're going to struggle your home is not going to sell 
So, or if your home's really, really quirky, it's, you know, because we do see some very quirky homes out there. You've yeah. got to still... unique. Let's call them unique homes. Well, unique, but I'm always, when I say unique, I, I would think as unique as being a thing. Quirky is, is, is these homes that are, people have just put their own personality on it so much that mm-hmm. the, the general market can't see beyond that. That's what I mean by quirky, you yeah. know. Um, they've got those crazy wallpapers and, you know, they've done all sorts of really abstract things and you're like, whoa. Um, so if you keep it at that, I think you're going to have a strong market. It's going to carry on through the year. I can't see that changing. What I do see is the pace coming off. I do see that people are going to have more breathing space to make a decision about what they want. Um, and that's probably the key to what's going to happen initially. I mean, a lot of it is still going to depend on what happens with our economies in the long run. Yeah, right? sure. sure. You know, as we come out of COVID and all right. this money starts to sort of settle down and what governments decide to, you know, there's a lot of handholding going on from the governments. Sure. And sure. I think those are going to be the influences of where we're going to go, right? Right. Um, the, the, uh, there's, there's two more points I, I want you to hmm. make um the so we talked about the exodus to these smaller cities and the mm-hmm. smaller cities being the beneficiaries mm-hmm. of this and the people who live in the smaller cities aren't so sure about that right the Boise folks that say wait a minute I can't even afford to buy up here anymore yeah. um but again all we're talking about is and this is why we said it in the beginning that we're talking about behavior above the luxury threshold yeah. okay and so one of the other measurements that you use, which I know when I opened up, and I eagerly await these, right, because they tell a story, um, I, I was really profoundly surprised that in the other uh, uh, benchmark you use is the median sales price to list price. And just as a reminder, we're mm-hmm. talking about 110 or so markets. We're talking above the luxury threshold in this market, in that market. Mm-hmm. And an example would be Dallas, Texas. I think the luxury threshold here is about $800,000. And, you know, people will be like, well, the $100 million house just sold in Dallas. That must be luxury. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Luxury begins at the luxury threshold. When you look at that, that to me is an indication of, the professionalism of the realtor uh-huh. and being able to guide uh, the market. And so when you look at the sales price to list price, it was in um, June of 2020, um, 97%. Mm-hmm. And in June of 2021, it's 100%. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of unpack that for me? Because that's really interesting. So that means they're pricing the homes exactly right. It does. As an index. As an index. Because again, anybody who watches the news or reads a newspaper, well, wow, I just aged myself instantly. Um, (laughs) That anybody who gets their news from Twitter uh, (laughs) has learned that there are offers out there for $150,000 over asking and all of that. And those are very specific situations. But by and large, you want your real estate professional to know where to price the house, right? 
and by and large, we are seeing that. Um, and because it's a seller's market, we are seeing that people are getting the prices they're requesting as yeah. long as they, you know, and this is where your realtor comes in. This is why you need a realtor because they will look at the market. They will absolutely judge what was sold here, what was sold here. And again, back to affluent properties, you know, we don't say like to use the word compare because the higher up the home, the less comparables you have. So what you do is you look at, okay, five bedrooms. You, you choose attributes that are similar to give you an idea of what this home will be worth. So I think what's, what's actually happening is, and again, I think realtors have been able to do this and say, your home will govern this price. We do also have because we have a lot of people who are in the market looking for homes in, in the affluent um, level, we have a lot of people who are, as I said, if all the boxes tick for them, and there are five or six of those people where the boxes are ticks, you are going to see above asking prices. That yeah. is bringing that number in total up back up to that 100%. It is quite phenomenal. Every time I see that when we turn the numbers that it's 100%, it's like, it can't be a hundred percent. How can it be exactly? It's like the one million point that we actually frame this one, right? And <laughs> like, I don't actually like these numbers. I want them to be above or below because then they're more believable. But I'm not. I'm, I'm honestly saying we crunch numbers. We use the same number database systems every month, and uh, so when we see these very round numbers, it's always a bit like. Hmm, let's check this but it's right and the realtors are doing a phenomenal job at helping people buy yeah high price yeah yep. Yep. yep and sell at the right price and sell at the right um, price yeah expectations so, couple things like for for those who are listening the the institute publishes this uh luxury market report mm-hmm. and you can get the market report the general public anyone can actually access the the what we call the north american report and mm-hmm. you go to luxuryhomemarketing.com mm-hmm. and you follow the uh, our luxury insights drop down and you can get to the luxury market report. And if you want to get it dropped into your inbox, just subscribe to it at the bottom of that page. Deborah and her team, because this is not just you, uh, no. Deborah and her team work very hard at the, there's, you know, kind of like anybody can compile data. It's your insights. And uh, these discussions that you and I have that form the Institute real index of this and, and how we feel and what, where we say um, this market's going. Now, if you're a member of the Institute for Luxury Home Marketing as a realtor, one of the things that we offer is the 110 markets or so that set this index, set this benchmark for luxury all of the data that we're talking about is available to our members at the level of that market that they're in or that they're interested in. One of the great ways that I've heard people use this is movement all over the country. We've got a lot of Californians coming to Texas. And so our our really smart Texas uh, members say, here, here's the California report. So you can understand where you're coming from. And here's the Texas one for Houston. And you can see they're very different markets. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's a great way for our members to position themselves as the data authority. Okay. Yep. 
Um, and so we offer that up and it's a, it's a terrific member, member benefit. And, and, you know, you and I've been doing this now, what feels like a, a pretty long time. Um, I think it's three, we have three and a half years of this right under our belt. I no, I think it might be four and a half. Four and a half. So try to look at this. I know. Um, so, you know, you and I talk all the time and I'm, yeah. I'm so excited that people finally get to hear from you. Um, I think that the <laughs> career that you've had and what you give to the Institute um, and the, the point of view that you lend and, and your company, the report group, will actually personalize this uh, for our members. And I encourage everyone to go take a look at that because uh, Deborah and her team have put together kind of a, a really interesting uh, option, if you will, to just let you do this for them and let you help them establish um, their uh, proficiency in the market. Because at, at the end of the day, uh, he who has the data wins today, right? Absolutely, yeah. And just, just, to really clarify that the whole goal of this is to have the North American report, which is really insightful about what's happening currently. It uh, obviously showcases all the different markets, as Diane said, um, and you can compare and contrast. One of the key things about the affluent is, as we know, they have multiple homes. So they're not just only interested in the area that you know them for. They are, you know, if they've got a home in Aspen or they've got a home in New York, they're looking at that data and cross-referencing. So knowing who your customers are and being able to give them that report and their local reports puts you miles ahead of your competition. Yep. And then we have the ability to take these reports and as Diane said, it's an option, we can customize or personalize those reports for you, create them as digital um, reports. So you can send a link or, um, and you can actually embed them in things like the social media, yeah. um, and or you can send them by email. And we also have the option where you can print them. So we have these number of options and there's a third option where you can even do a video every month having once read the report and you can do a snapshot of what you what's happening in your local market and we can embed that in the personalized cover so again there's an extra connectivity between you and your clients and then to one final point and it was actually said by one of your members and I thought this was very insightful. He takes a report and he sends it to 1,200 people a month. And they're not all clients. They're people within his community. Mm. These are people like mortgage advisors, architects, surveyors, yeah. anybody or anything who connects with the wealthy. And he makes sure they have a copy of it. And, they, um, and the reason why he does that is because... It's a great, easy snapshot of what's going on in the market. And he did actually say at one point that he didn't send it out one month and he got tons of emails saying, where's my report? Right. Right. Because suddenly the data people are the popular kids. Right. Right. <laughs> so look, I, yeah. Uh, you know, as I as I knew when, when um, I invited you to this, I think there's more to be said here. And I appreciate you, my friend. Thank um, you one of the great introductions of my life, right? Oh, um, yes. So we, we have, we've we've enjoyed working together. And, and, and I really hope that, you know, the work that I do 
you know, is something that really helps your your members because um, when we started this project together, one of the things that we wanted to do was produce something that was so unique yeah. and had a real depth to it and, you know, really came from a place of, of knowledge and information. And one of the key things for me about real estate, especially in the wealthy, is in the wealthy sector, is the fact that sold data is so much more valuable oh, yeah. than listing data yeah. because yeah. you can list at any price when, yeah. you have yeah. a, when you have a huge home. Yeah. But so the sold data is the key. And I'm loving I'm loving this moment in time because there is so much sold data and so much action going on, you know. When the market's nice and easy and it's like, okay, I don't know what to talk about. <laughs> so All I right. love craziness. Keep it going. <laughs> the, heady, the heady market. All right, we'll talk in a few months, okay, my friend? Absolutely. Thank you. Take care. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of A State of Mind, The Art of Selling Luxury Real Estate. If you're interested in learning more about the Institute, you can find more at luxuryhomemarketing.com. If you like what you just heard, please share with a friend and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thanks for listening.